This is the Dancepreneuring Studio podcast, session number 211, Thriving in the Betweens, my conversation with Spencer Theberg and Jermaine Spivey. Hello there and happy new year 2021. Welcome to session 211 of the Dancepreneuring Studio podcast. I'm Annette Bone and the Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business. I get the privilege and the joy of sharing my journey back into the dance world after 20 plus year hiatus, the lessons I've learned, the transformation I've experienced, and the wonderful creators I've met along the way who also share their stories, their ideas, strategies, and tactics to help move your life and your business forward. Oh my goodness, it's been a hot minute since I've released a new episode and it feels awesome to be back behind the mic. What a year it has been, not only for me, but Anyone on this planet can say the same thing. So many things, positive and not so positive, uh, directly and indirectly, and navigating through it all. So I really commend you for keeping your head up and making it through day by day. Sometimes I know minute by minute, moment by moment, and I know it has not been easy for a lot of people. Which brings me to this episode of Thriving in the betweens, the betweens referring to this amazing production by Jermaine Spivey and Spencer Theberg, two artists that I've been so fortunate to learn from because of this pandemic. And uh, their production in the last, gosh, it was, when was it? It was November. It was postponed because of the pandemic. So it, it started off as one thing and then got postponed. And and but it, it it worked out to be just what it was supposed to be. And so looking forward to seeing another reinvention, reimagining of it again. And that's what it has all been about is this reimagining of this work that started one way and, and evolved into something else because of the pandemic. So we talk about navigating through this time and how they navigated through the process of creating this work and what went into this work. And their philosophies about dance and technique, I think you will learn so much from. So before we get into that, I wanted to invite you to a special workshop I'm doing through Zoom, of course, called Two Critical Things to Crush Your Goals in 2021. Now, I know there's a lot of talk about New Year's resolutions and goals and that kind of thing, but I have a different take on this and I've discovered it reevaluating the things that I've achieved since coming back to dance after a 20 year hiatus and all the things that have happened, and I thought, wow, it it it's, it boils down to two these two things, which is why I was able to get through a lot of things through struggles and all this stuff. Pandemic before, actually before COVID, this was way pre-COVID. All this stuff going on. So, anyway, if you want to join in, you can go to bit.ly forward slash two things twenty twenty one, and two things is spelled out in a word in words t w o t h i n g s. 2021 the year bit.ly forward slash t-w-o-t-h-i-n-g-s 2021 and I would love to see you there I'm going to share these things that I know will help you crush your goals in 2021 whether you want to call them goals resolutions it really doesn't matter whatever works for you I really feel that using words that will help you is huge in achieving your goals and making progress. So more on that in the workshop. If you want to join in, I would love to see you. It's Saturday, January 2nd, 1130 a.m. Pacific time. So without further ado, let's get into this wonderful, rich conversation that I had with Jermaine Spivey and Spencer Theberg. Thank you so much for joining me. Now that you're warmed up, get ready to go full out with our feature presentation. When one door of happiness closes, another opens, but often we look so long at the closed door that we do not see the one that has been opened for us. This is a quote that I found by Helen Keller that so resonated with me because at the time of this recording, we are in the middle of a pandemic and many doors have been closed for us. However, other doors have been opened. And for me, it's been getting access to incredible artists that I wouldn't have otherwise and gaining new perspectives from them, learning from them, and getting to look at things in my life and in my artistic journey in a different way. Things have been inconvenient. Things have been crazy. (laughs) I could go on and on. And it's not only for me. I'm not, it's not only happening to me. It's happening to the whole world. And it's just a very interesting time we're in. 
But as these doors have closed and these other doors have opened, I'm so grateful. And I have two amazing artists that I'm going to introduce here. And I recently saw their work called The Betweens uh, that they collaborated with uh, with the L.A. Dance Project here in Los Angeles. And oh, my gosh, I can't say enough good things. I have to do a quick bio because I want to get into this because um, with uh, the pandemic, artistic things have had to take a different evolution, <laughs> to put it mildly. And so people are trying to figure out things as, as they go along, myself included. And so. Um, I can't wait to get into this, but let me introduce them. Um, they are both graduates from the Juilliard School. They both have extensive experiences in creating, collaborating, performing, you name it, all over the world with renowned dance companies, including, but not limited to, Kid Pivot, Netherlands Dance Theater, the Forsyth Company, to name a few. They're both Princess Grace Awards recipients, Spencer Theberg, Theberg, Spencer, I just love that name. <laughs> 2008, he got this amazing award, and Jermaine got it, Jermaine Spivey, 2001. They're both currently on the dance faculty at the prestigious California Institute of the Arts. And um, I am just so happy that I get to have them on the show. Thank you both so much for joining me. How are you today in this interesting time that we're in? <laughs> Joining in with you. So happy. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm just, I'm again beside myself, excited for this. And uh, I was so excited to see the betweens. And, um, you know, how have, there's so much I want to ask about it. And I know there's been so much that has gone into it. And, and uh, just, I bet even looking back, it's been just interesting to reevaluate, you know, your work and your experience with the work. I was listening to a um, an interview that you did with Los Angeles Dance Project. And at that time, you were just getting, you know, developing the work. Did you pick the dancers or did they have the dancer set? Like, how did that all begin to to start that work? Like, how what was the beginning like in terms of that, of, of choosing who you're going to work with? That was a, actually, I think we have to backtrack even further before we talk about um, who we ended up working with, because as you've mentioned, um, reimagining performance right now has been something that you can't, you have to be really um, willing to go with the flow, to, to put it that way. You just have to really let go of any, any um, like, need for anything to end up exactly a particular way. And what that what that means is that the city creates rules that affect then how you can perform and how you can invite an audience into seeing something. So originally when we uh, signed on to this project, we the idea was to perform in a site-specific location, um, different architectural sites throughout like all of Los Angeles actually. And we had a lot of fun um, picking through a list and researching things and figuring out what interested us. And of course, ultimately, we ended up performing um, at LA Dance Project in their parking lot site. And a lot of that was because of restrictions imposed by the city of LA, um, making it impossible to do these kind of pop-up shows in different places. So we were first there in this idea of where are we going to be and then who should be in that space uh, performing. That was the first step of that uh, process. Do you want to say anything about that? I do. If we go even before, before, <laughs> to a time not so long ago, but feels like really long ago now, uh, Spencer and I were supposed to perform ourselves. We were supposed to do our own work. Uh, Mission three, a piece that we premiered in LA in November of 2018. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and that was the original project. We were going to perform that piece in their space, in their studio theater. And then pandemic and everything shut down and quarantine and shelter in place. And we, it was still open because those shows, I believe, were supposed to happen in May. And LA went into lockdown in March, right? Like mid-March. So we were like, let's see what happens. Because back then we didn't know how long it was going to take. 
And then it was very apparent that nothing was going to open up anytime soon, so those shows got canceled. Uh, we even talked about trying to do maybe uh, just a live broadcasted yeah. version where we would go into space and just be in there by ourselves, but then the lockdown was so severe and it didn't make any sense. So it all got canceled. Fast forward to then, um, oh no, then that got moved to July maybe. We talked about doing it in July because we thought maybe in July we would open back up. <laughs> Does this give you a sense of how it one thing turned into another thing turned into another really? thing. And I think something, first of all, to say is that LADP is also super imaginative. Mm -hmm. And that was a really, really supported that process, especially in the early, early stages of not understanding how it could go. Right. Just that ability to reimagine and let things change, which is something that Jermaine and I really love anyway. So it helped in those in those early stages yeah so by the time we got to this iteration of like okay we can't do that show but how about we do this other project we were already in the frame of mind of like yeah what let's adapt and let's keep adapting and let's make something work and happen um i think ultimately that's why we chose the betweens yeah. as the title because that was definitely a through line in everything that was even trying to create the work. It, 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 everything felt like being in the betweens um, in what we were experiencing in life, but then also in the conversations that we were having in terms of identity and you know racial injustice and um, just societal norms and things that we're all confronted with this year as well and thinking about and trying to change and adapt. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That that's, you summarize that so well. And there's so much just to be said on that aspect of it. And so with having to, you know, all this stuff, all these changes and navigating, and then also, um, Jermaine, well, both of you talked about this when you were talking with Rochelle at LADP about how, I asked about the dancers about getting, and you had talked about getting to know them, not only as dancers, but as people. So were you looking for something in particular in terms of, I would say personality, but just in terms of traits that would inform your work? Were you looking for something specific in these dancers or was it just because you had talked about silliness and sense of humor, which I totally appreciated that, you know, you wanted them to start feeling comfortable with you and also get your sense, you know, get just that normal interaction of, of getting to know someone. So was, but was there something that you were looking for within these dancers specifically as you were getting to know them? Yes. And so Spencer started talking about this. Originally we were seeing all these different locations that we were thinking that's where the show was going to happen. And one of those locations was the scenic overlook in Baldwin Hills. And so we were, we spent actually a lot of time thinking about Baldwin Hills and imagining that. And I was doing a little bit of research on the area and just things about, you know, the city of LA and how neighborhoods changed. And I got into gentrification articles and columns. And we started talking about that in terms of, okay, now we're doing this project with LA Dance Project that has asked us to make a piece. It's also in collaboration with SciArc. How do we take responsibility for going to Baldwin Hills and performing? Um, who are the people in the piece that we feel like could be representation for people of that community? Um, and as well as like other communities in LA. It's like, how do we make this um, feel moment appropriate and and site specific and you know space and city appropriate and that was initially i think what made us choose the people that we chose on top of the fact that there was another piece being created for that evening um solo at dusk right and so that was using more dancers and though i think those dancers had already been picked and they had already started rehearsals before we started ours so we were also trying to figure out how to best use the schedule and not create too many conflicts. And we ended up just, we ended up picking uh, three of the dancers from the company. And then we asked the company if they would hire 
another dancer. Um, and that was how we got to bring in uh, Usha Sozano, who is a friend and who we've gotten to know even more through this process. We didn't really know her so well, actually, before this. But we also felt like we know each other really well. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, so that's where Usha came from. When they kept saying Usha, I was like, what is Usha? What is, what are yeah. they, I'm going to have to ask them, what is Usha? That's yeah. why. Yeah. That's my question. <laughs> we felt like we needed another female presence and that we needed another Black female presence uh, in the piece. And there wasn't another Black female in the company. So we asked and they were, they, they really did their best to make everything work and to try to accommodate every request all along with everything changing and turning flip upside down. Um, so when we presented that to them, they were like, okay, let's let's see what we can do. And we were able to make it work out so that we could bring Lucia on board. And we're so glad we got to do that. Me too. Me too. That was great. Yeah. And, and just a little bit more to your question also, Annette, I think that the, in terms of like the idea of looking for something, I think more what what we tried to do, especially early on, is to figure out who they are and what their isms are and and what their personality traits and kinds of comforts and discomforts and stuff like that. And we had a lot of really frank conversations about um, things that they're hoping to challenge in themselves and also things that they enjoy. And we tried to figure out how to create a piece that served both of those things at the same time, like helped them feel like themselves, but also helped them challenge themselves as performers. Um, so it was more about looking for who they are as opposed to looking for something in the, in them that we want. Um, I think we've always been more interested in in like working with the people who are there as opposed to asking those people to be different people mm -hmm. than they are. I really appreciate that you said that, Spencer, because in when you were talking, when you were both talking with Rochelle, you had, had talked about how you wanted people to be who you are, who you are in whatever situation that you're in, and you wanted to honor that. So I really appreciate that you said that. And um, Jermaine, you were talking about conflict. I loved when you both talked about your viewpoints on conflict mm -hmm. and how, Jermaine, you said conflict to you is just another perspective that needs to have some kind of commonality, you know, some common resolution. Whereas you, Spencer said that, that, you know, coming from your theater background, how yeah. you, how it needs to be, you know, in the story so that you can go through that journey of here's the conflict and then whatever happens to get to the resolution. Did you both always feel that way about conflict or has that developed in terms of your growth as an artist and as people and dealing with different types of people? Yeah. You know, <laughs> what would you say about that? Development did not feel that way before um, at all. I actually was a person that definitely ran from conflict and avoided it at all costs. Uh, and developed a whole personality and way of being around, you know, avoiding what felt like conflict. And definitely as I got older and through my career and my artistic practice, I had to come to terms with that in a real way. I'm so thankful also that uh, I was able to do that through my working experience and my passion and creative experience. Uh, so that I think it was a big help for me to to be able to change my perspective. You know, I think being, leaving your home, going to another country, going to another continent, uh, going to a place where there is another language and there's a whole other cultural lens and way of even thinking about what's right and wrong. If you, if you choose to move to a new place, I feel like you have to then accept that you're in that mode of adaptation. And so when I chose to move to Europe, I accepted that. And then I started to see that people, you know, and this is just, this is beyond dance, but just in everyday life. It's like everyone is living the best version of the life that they think is the right, you know, the right one or the right kind or the right way. And ultimately we all want the same thing. 
when we get really, really, really down to the base, base, base of it all, everyone is looking for pretty much the same things. We just have different ideas or different ways of going about it. And that was later reiterated for me through, um, through a book written by Dana Casperson, where she talks about people, people often um, getting caught up with the ways that they're trying to get the things that they want. And we're not actually talking about the things that we want. And when I, when I really think about that, I'm like, yes, exactly what that is and then that makes me feel it makes me feel freer as a person and makes me feel also more accepting and free and connected to people from anywhere and people that have different ways of behaving than I do because I then look at it like these are you know this strategy this way of being was developed in a particular culture, was developed in a particular environment, was developed in, you know, this type of home or this type of work scenario. And it's not so much about people being bad or this person is an asshole. You're behaving maybe like an asshole, but you are not an asshole. You know what I mean? Yes. And that just, it changed, that changes everything for me, really. Yeah, I and I I think that I can really relate to Jermaine's experience of um, that, like starting or or reflecting on it through your personal experience with it. And I think that that's where my relationship to conflict really started to change too. Was feeling like in my in my professional life when I shifted when I left NDT and started working for the Forsyth Company. And that was really a night and day shift of, of approach to, to performance and approach to dance. And, and it was a really hard transition for me to make for a lot of different reasons, but uh, mo- mostly because it was about figuring out how you want to do something and not being told what to do as much um, or, or those cues are coming at you in a different way. But ultimately as an improviser, you have to make the choices um, for your body. And I had felt a lot of conflict in that and a lot of fear and distrust in myself. And there's this, I don't know, this something that I feel like has developed since then, this ability to recognize the own ex- the experience that I have inside my own body as an experience that I can have with Jermaine or with you, Annette, or with anybody that I meet that those things are not specific or belonging only to like inside my skin, but I think that's where that's empathy, right? Like that's where that comes from is the ability to translate an experience that you're having into understanding that other people are having that. And then your relationships with other people are having that too. Um, So then conflict to me becomes less of like the bad guy as, as Jermaine is saying too, and, and more like something to pay attention to because there's information in there. And that translates also then to like my dance practice. And once I started thinking about, okay, what's the information that is in the center of this conflict or this problem I'm feeling? Then I was like, oh, I see. I'm trying to use my body through a strategy for another body. Mm-hmm. I haven't used any strategies that work for my body. What does my body need to do? And so then I started spending a lot of time just trying to feel funny enough, like way after my training, after I graduated, I'm already a professional. I've already danced professionally in one company. I'm in the second one. And that's the moment where I realized I have to do everything different, pretty much. Like I have to actually pay attention to Jermaine and how Jermaine's hips and knees and ankles coordinate with each other on the coordination level, but then there's also the whole mental process as well. How am I thinking about my body? How am I sensing my body? What's the awareness Mm -hmm. of the felt experience? And I realized like, I again, I cultivated a kind of awareness that was not for my body, Mm -hmm. it was for someone else's. And so that's where the conflict was, which was the information. I love how you both talked about that and just Again, like what you were saying, Jermaine, like we all, when it comes down to that, we all want the same thing. It's just different ways of getting about it, different approaches to it. And it's interesting that we're talking about conflict too, because one, one thing that could have been 
perceived as a conflict in the betweens is um, what you talked about, um, Spencer, when you were talking to Rochelle about the um, car being in the car being as a barrier. And then Jermaine, you said something, if I'm remembering correctly, that it was, it's not a barrier. If you look at it as a barrier, maybe, but it's actually maybe another point of access, another point of entry. Mm -hmm. So did you think of, did that just kind of come to you right away or you thought, no, I'm going to, you chose to view it that way. Like what, how did that thought process come about in terms of, you know, obviously you were navigating, there was so much to navigate, obviously, but how did, you know, how were you thinking about all of that as well as you were um, creating movement? Yeah. I mean, I think that first of all, we, we first imagined that the piece would be something that people would walk into the space and be socially distanced and watch sharing the same airspace, right? Like not, inside their cars that was the first that's how we were making the piece and so the first thing that happened when we found out because of the city's mandates that we'd have to the audience would have to be in their cars of course the first thing is to be disappointed because that didn't go with the plan right so you spend some time being like oh dang (laughs) like that's that's not like that's not what we wanted to do but you also have to then I mean, I, I think that there's a moment where you have to then accept what will happen and then figure out how to make the circumstances of how it's going to be work for the piece. And so then we started to shift things. Um, and as you, as you know from seeing the betweens, we, we actually reference the cars. They, the, the performers ask them to honk, ask them to turn their lights on, and they speak directly to the people inside their cars on purpose so that we remind the audience, you are here, we can see you. This isn't um, you at home watching your TV. Um, even though you feel like you're in your own car space, you're still here with us and we want to share this moment together. So that was really purposeful, that strategy, um, to figure out how to acknowledge the cars, but then also ask the audience to still be there. I think what's interesting about that too is that we didn't decide, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we didn't decide okay, David here in this part asked people to honk their horns. David had, David's character for that section was sort of MC host person uh, named Keisha. And the way that we were rehearsing before we even knew about the car situation was that Keisha was addressing the audience. So that when it switched to cars, it was like, well, we want to keep that same idea we definitely want to address the audience but now you'll be addressing them through cars but we had we didn't have any cars there in the rehearsal process right so that was it wasn't it was later it was like basically in tech week i do believe when we actually started to park cars Mm -hmm. in front of them that and that just came from david keisha came out into the section and keisha was like i need you to honk your horns (laughs) people started honking and we were like well duh yeah that's definitely one way to do that um and i say that to say you know part of the way that we work as well as letting we have an idea we have a concept we have the frames that we build and then we let the things create themselves as well uh, as well and we we also want to see what happens when when that uh when the dancers are in a certain state of awareness. Yeah. And so then they can pay attention and pick up on what's actually happening. And I just love that David as Keisha in that moment really took in the the clearest and the easiest way to get those people over there to meet in the middle. And I mean, pe- it felt like people loved to hump their yeah, horns. Really, it felt yes. like people were so ready to do that and flash their lights. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like there was a lack of interaction because mm-hmm. of the cars. I, I felt that, it, again, it, it was just another access point. It was just another way to interact, which, you know, again, it's about reimagining and having it evolve the way it's supposed to. And I love that you give space for that and that it's, you know, it's, it, I, I'm sure it felt different for for the dancers every time they performed it. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, and because also every, 
just like every audience in a typical theater space gives a different energy, you can still feel the energy through the cars. So you're totally right. It's it's not it's not a barrier in terms of a, a block. It's just it's just a physical presence, actually. But you still feel the energy, and sometimes the energy from the audience was really hyped, and other times it was lower, and they still had to figure out how to do the piece and how to do how to how to do their work no matter what they were experiencing and that that exchange of energy shifted each show Mm -hmm. to be its own its own version of the piece each show which was really really cool to see i I just think it's it's really cool to have more than one show performance because then you see and experience how it can evolve because i was thinking oh my gosh i would have loved to see this again Mm -hmm. because then it would have been a different experience yeah it was also a unique experience, I think, in a concert dance setting where you make a piece and then you immediately perform it like 22 times or however many times it was. I feel like that number 18, 18, 18, 18 times, not 22, 18. <laughs> but to immediately have like a run of 18 shows is not really typical. You get to that many, but you do like, the premiere week and then you have a break and then maybe you do a second week. I know in the companies that I was in, sometimes we only had the premiere week and then we left the piece and came back to it like a month later or a couple months later. And then you perform it sporadically on tour, but it's not the same as like back to back to back to back. And also it was twice each night. So they really got to, I think, dive in and, get a good understanding of what the world was mm-hmm. right away. Mm-hmm. You know, we, by, we premiered on a Thursday. Um, I'm always looking to him because he knows schedule. <laughs> uh, we premiered on a Thursday, and then, you know, by Saturday, they had already done it four times. And so then they were in their fifth and their sixth show, and they were like, oh, okay. I know, I know how to be now. Mm-hmm. You know? I think it was, it's such a gift that they were able to do your work more than once. I mean, to be able to work with the two of you, I know is a dream, like, you know, it'd be so awesome, but to do, you know, to do your work continuously that way and involve and grow within that. I'm sure they took a ton personally from that, just the experience. And, and you were talking about um, the, uh, like you didn't have the cars, right? Of course, you know, until like tech week and stuff. And there, I just thought about the three words that were, said that resonated with me in the piece displacement replacement what was the other one um displacement replacement yeah placement placement replacement and displacement did those words come right away or did that come in the creation as the creation was being created yeah totally we we started the creation actually a lot like what we're doing right now we just we began began with Zoom uh, sort of chat sessions, um, talking about what we were thinking as entry points into the work, but also wanting to then be influenced by how, how the dancers were thinking about um, those, kind, those concepts. Um, and I started keeping track of words that seemed important and then also kind of doing like little little tick marks n- marks next to them when we were repeating those words. So by the end of our conversation sessions, we had this long list of words that seemed like theme words for the piece. And placement, displacement, replacement were really at the top of that list. Um, and we built all of the text that the dancers speak during it during the betweens from this list of words, essentially Um, we wanted to, we wanted the piece to be a reflection of the conversations we had along the way. How long would you say it took them to get comfortable with use with them using their voices? Because you had mentioned that they were not necessarily when you were talking to Rochelle, that they were not necessarily this, you know, they're dancers. So maybe some of them don't have, are not comfortable. A lot of dancers are not comfortable speaking period. So to get, you know, to get them to use their voice and sound, how was, how did you get that out of them? Was it through this process? Like what you were telling you, you spent a lot of time in dialogue about this, getting, you know, getting information, 
what would would you say there was one thing that helped them or just the the practice of doing? I think the practice of doing, Mm -hmm. definitely. I would venture to say that, you know, they didn't really, really get comfortable until it was showtime. Mm -hmm. That's understandable. (laughs) Because then you're just, it's, it's not pressurized in the sense of like, Oh gosh, I have to be perfect, but it's the show. Mm -hmm. So it's, you, you go out and you hit it now. Um, And, but we worked on vocal stuff pretty much the whole way throughout from the beginning. Like we got microphones and mic stands very early on. We had them at every rehearsal and we practiced speaking into the mic. We practiced different ways of articulating. We we practiced proximity to the actual microphone. Like, this is going to give you a clearer sound. This is less clear. These type of mics need you to speak right on top of it. If you tilt the mic, it doesn't, you know, we did all that kind of stuff. We did vocal warm-ups also for a while, but then I left with them to try on their own. Um, so it was really throughout the process, um, part of the work, but the comfort I think really came at Showtime. Yeah, and I think that I'll, I just want to elaborate on that too a little bit that they also individually had different comfort levels mm-hmm. coming into mm-hmm. it with with speech and we talked about that a lot um, because they also knew, we said we were very clear from the beginning, like everybody's going to talk and how do you feel about that kind of a thing and so we, we, we had a lot of conversations about comfort right away from the beginning. But then I think there's also, there's individual comfort, but then there's also the group comfort because in speaking in particular in, in the betweens, it's also composing. You have to develop your your ear to listen for the moment to put your voice into the space and how to contribute to the conversations that are happening inside the piece. And so the group also has a comfort. And I felt like, I felt like they worked first and you have to do this. You work on your individual comfort. And then once you understand the piece, the group works on their comfort in terms of delivering the text. But because the betweens is so dependent on the audience and an engagement with the audience, you can't know it until you start doing it. So really, I mean, it was amazing to see the shift between dress rehearsal and the first show, um, just this really clear, like, oh, I, I, I know how to own this now. I know how to, to, to perform this. And that was really exciting. But you can't do that before the audience is there. So you just have to trust the, trust the work. It's also um, I, something that we use a lot, something that I've been interested in for a long time and definitely was it was really really reiterated in our experience in the Forsyth company Bill Forsyth was always trying to get us to be how we were when we weren't when we didn't think we were on Mm. people were watching or paying attention all of the side chatter and conversation, all the things that you do in a rehearsal room when you think nobody's paying attention is what he was trying to get you to do in performance. Like perform, not performing. Because then you're responsive. Then you're actually listening to the person you're talking to and responding. And you're having a back and forth. And it has rhythm and it has timing. There's space. It's fun. It could be serious at the next turn and then fun again. And all of it works because you're responding. Responding, And I really took that away from that experience. Like, how can I dance like that? Um, how can I perform like that? But also, how can I create things yeah. that allow that kind of being, pretty much? Like, how can we perform being? Really important. So would you say there is a difference um, between, in this, you know, in, in this work, the betweens particularly, I felt like, yeah, it was very responsive. Like I feel like the, the, there was a, a good exchange between the audience and the performance of, with response. I didn't feel like it was reactionary, which I think is totally different because if it like when they said, you know, honk your horns, I mean, I think people, people knew coming in what the, what was going to happen, but I really felt this real authentic exchange that it wasn't just, Oh, they're telling us it's not, it wasn't that I really felt like you said, Spencer, about the energy, you know, I really felt that it was very authentic, which I really 
appreciated. But I know that there, there's always a lot of intention that goes into your work. Taking class from you, I know, you know, I have firsthand experience. Right, it's it's right. just amazing. So um, if you were to do this again, would you do, well, first of all, would you do this work again? Would you do it in the same space, the same dancers? How would, what would you do differently? Would you do it differently? I mean, now looking back at it, you know, what would you say about that? You know, I think I would do it again in a heartbeat. I would, I think there's still more to learn about it in the context it was how, of how it was performed already. But something about what Jermaine and I make when we make work together that we perform in is we rarely do it the same way twice um, because we rarely perform in a theater, actually. So yes. we, when we come into the space we're in, we look at the space and figure out how to perform in that space, not how to wish that it was a different space, which of course we talk about sometimes in class, right? Yes. How do you look at the space and let it be the space it is and interact with that space? So that's a part of of what we do already is this adaptability and allowing things to change. And I think it would be really exciting to put the betweens in a different context in the future, maybe when we can perform differently. and see how it will it would change what things maybe could continue but how you would need to adapt to other things i think it would be really fun to play with that so now oh my gosh there's so much you know there's a ton i want to ask you but i i, I want to ask you these three questions that i ask everyone that i have um and it's funny because it's changed again like we talked about in the beginning or well before we got on the recording but um First question. So each one of you, if you could please answer, I'm I'm curious. Mm-hmm. So my original question was, who is your favorite dancer or choreographer and why? But instead, it's who is your favorite person in the performing arts world, whether they are a dancer, an actor, a, you know, a performance artist, a cinematographer, a dance historian. I mean, who would that be? You know, because I know all of that informs your work. It's not just dance. It's a lot of things. <laughs> so... Who would you say that is right now and why? Oh, oh Annette. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> I think first, the thing that's exciting about that question is that then hearing you say, like, it could be a person in this field or this field, it just, these these people and these faces and these names just start to pop up and it really goes to show how um, infinite inspiration can be and influence can be, um, and I definitely could never pick one person. And <laughs> of course. I, I, yeah, I, that would be, that's an impossible feat. But I do, I think a lot about um, the influence that a woman named Yoko Ando has had on my life. And as a, as a performer, but more even as I relate to myself, as a performer and she danced for the Forsyth company for a long time. I used to see her perform years before I was in the company. And then when I joined the company, she and I actually got to dance together. Like I got to, I got to partner with her and, and, and work with her really closely. And she changed my life. She helped me see, um, she helped me see my work, but she also helped me get out of my own way. I was really the block in my in myself. Um, I was I was the the thing holding myself back, um, and she was able to tell me that in words that I could hear, and when I could hear them, she had a gift for timing. Um, she would tell me the thing exactly when I needed to hear it. And then was super supportive of my efforts to try. And I just think that, you know, that kind of person in your life who, who helps open space for you also then helps you see other people. So I, I credit her for also being a person that's helped open my mind to then other influences that now are also names that I would love to say but she had, she was really pivotal for me exactly when I needed it. And I think that that timing was really everything. So I always, I always like give my, my energetic gratitude to Yoko anytime I have the opportunity to, because Jermaine was there. I mean, he, he knows what she, (laughs) 
what she um, helped me find. Um, and yeah, much, much thanks to Yoko. I, um, I, well, you know, I'm, I think these aren't complete sentences, Jermaine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's so hard for me to pick a person. I like to think about a person as a transformer, as like a a Voltron or like (laughs) a, uh, man, I forget the name of it now, a multiple it's multiple people coming together to form one body, pretty much. And there's a lot of people in there. I know. Um, <laughs> I mean, at the moment, moment, I am really, really inspired by Dionne Warwick. Oh. Uh, yeah, she's amazing. But like, for real, for real. Mm-hmm. For real, for real. If you listen to that music, that she made and that she was singing. And if you watch some of the the footage of her, you know, in her prime and in that time performing those songs, that is exactly what we're talking about. It's exactly the thing that we're trying to continue to work on. Um, I feel we were just watching something the other day and she was so relaxed, Mm -hmm. but engaged. She was, in every moment of that song, she knew it like the back of her hand, and she also let it tell her how to sing it. But she, you also see that she had worked on her own instrument and her own gift so that she could be in that moment and feel free and not worry about the technique of it, you know? Uh, it's something that I say when I'm teaching, like your dancing is your technique. They are two different things. Mm-hmm. It's not like now I'm learning how to improve my technique so that I can dance. No, yeah, you dance and your dancing is the technique. And I really, I'm getting that a lot from Dion at the moment. I mean, it's, it's Dion, it's Whitney Houston, it's uh, Luther Vandross, it's Daryl Coley, it's, those are singers that I, I feel inspired by. Nick Cave, we were taking inspiration from the visual artist Nick Cave for this piece. I'm really inspired by the work that he does. Uh, going back to music, Brandy is a mainstay. Brandy's incredible. Brandy's incredible. I'll say that again. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely say that again. <laughs> She's incredible. I mean, we take inspiration from each other. I'm not answering a question the way that you asked it, but... Yes, you are. <laughs> it's impossible for me to pick one person. Kelsey Kirkland. Right, like, going to that route. Fisher Harrell was a dancer at the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. She's also from Baltimore, Maryland, where I'm from. And we went yes. to the same She's also just an incredible... The list is long and it and well, yes. many generations and many different art forms for sure. I'm so glad I switched that question to this. So I found I find out more of what you all are inspired by. <laughs> I love that idea though, that in, in like Jermaine's mind, and I think we all have this, that all those people like are forming one giant body of, of approach and inspiration and stuff. And I think that's so true. I love that. Me too. I love that too. I love that 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 analogy. My second question was: What I used to ask is, uh, what is um, your favorite dance style and why? But for you two, I'm changing it, and I'm going to change it here on out. Is that what is what is um, a dance? Not only a dance style, maybe a movement modality that you haven't tried that you would like to. Whether you know, it could be something that people don't know about. I mean, I, I'm finding out about all these things that I would love to explore, but, you know, is there a specific movement technique, modality experience that you would like to try and why and that you haven't tried? I think it'd be really fun to just instantly be able to tap like crazy, like to just have <laughs> that ability right away to just feel that kind of rhythm and music in your feet and stuff. I know, Annette, we talk a lot about in class about like bringing, bringing things, you know, from other, other, other trainings and other forms into anything you have. And I, you know, that I love 
musicality and rhythm. And I think that I'm really attracted to those things in many different forms. Um, I've never, I've never trained in like house or, or hip hop or tap or anything like that, but I feel like it's the, the rhythm and the musicality and the attention and the um, intention of music that makes me feel really excited about wanting to try those things. Um, and I would re- try to remind myself as I would feel like self-conscious about not knowing what I'm doing formally that like attached to the thing that you do know and the thing that you do love and like figure out how to find the music in it and how to find your, the rhythm that you do know in it and things like that. But to tap would be fun. I think it would be like a real joy. Man. He's going to give you 12 answers. Again. I am. <laughs> I definitely am. Tapping. Tap is one of them. Uh, I never trained in tap, but I've had some tap experience through through work, through performances where someone's asked me to tap and I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and they're like, well, just learn it like choreography. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. But having that training, I've always had a little part of me that wants to know what it's like to like spin on my head or be able to do mm. some b-boying and just be able to think about my world in many different orientations mm. like that it's something that i practice anyway but with those specific um skills like you said in that modality i think that would be really interesting and ice skating Oh my gosh! I wanted to be a professional ice skater when I was younger. Oh yeah, that's, that's no. That is actually no. And I just, I just might like at some point next year try to find a place and like just go and start doing it. Jermaine, on my mind a lot lately. Yeah, I think if Jermaine at ice skating, he he could make it to the Olympics. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I believe that. I totally believe that. Oh my gosh. Knowing what I know and what I've seen, I definitely believe that. Oh my gosh. My last question is uh, what dance style or movement modality or movement experience describes your day right now at this moment and why? I think for me, I mean, this is maybe a, a little bit of a cop-out but it would have to be something improvisatory just because that the day changes so much and even like just Jermaine and I like the exchange between the teaching room in our place and like the light sources we use and the microphone there's just so much um that sort of like floats up in the air that you just kind of like figure out as you go and yeah, the days are really, the days feel really um, like make it, make a choice when it needs to be made, hard to plan. And that feels like improv to me. I'm going to say Graham. <laughs> and it's more about my association to it than it is about like what Graham is. But, and I, I think I'm also changing the way that I think about it. When I took Graham, I just hated it. I hated Graham so much in school. It hurt my body because I was trying to use my body like somebody else's body and not my body. But I blamed Graham for that. But I still had to do it because it was required, right? Like I was in school. It wasn't like I could just be like, I'm not doing this today. And I feel a little bit like that in this moment where there's this beautiful thing that is required, but I'm like fighting it. I'm fighting against it all the time, but I'm doing it. I'm still doing it. I'm still learning. It doesn't feel good all the time, but I do know within that that there's something that I'm gaining from it. And I think when I am able to have some perspective on this moment, like I am thinking about Graham, I'll be able to look at it different and be like, it's actually really awesome. That's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Great perspective on both. Seriously, like this has just been been like a masterclass in mindset and movement and creativity and artistry and all the wonderful things. And again, the door closed during this pandemic Mm -hmm. for studios and the, the, the normal that we're used to going into the studio rehearsing 
doing all the things we do yet this other door has opened where I, there was, there would have been no way that I would have had access to both of you. I, know. I mean, I'm not going to Cal arts. I'm, I, yeah. you know, I would have never thought to go to Cal arts because, you know, I just, I'm not in that stage of my life. Right. And there would, and so this pandemic time has, it just, it's been a blessing in so many ways. And I'm so grateful because I'm sitting, I'm talking to you guys. So it's been such a serendipity. So before we close out, one more thing. Do you have any last words that you want to say? Anything that's on your mind right now that you want to say or not? <laughs> I I mean, yeah, also, Annette, just really echoing those thoughts about getting, and, and I suppose it's what, Jermaine, what you were just speaking about too, but just getting to reflect on the true gifts in something that really feels like, um, you know, giftless, <laughs> uh, but like to, to have grown a relationship with you over months now. I mean, it's really, like you said, only happened because of needing to move online and just the joy of getting to exchange with you is really special from this moment. And I think I try I try to I try to keep those things close to mind as as things get more frustrating and challenging and difficult and upsetting, right? That there are a lot of things that are really treasures and really valuable from the moment and like like has been mentioned and like you've said, just that shift of awareness, like look behind you and see if the door's open instead of continuing to look at the door that's closed. Um, what a great thought because it's really your power to do so. Just turn your head. That's what's on my mind. I am, I'm thinking about how I'm thinking about this conversation that we were, that we're having and how to relate it to, you know, being in LA County and feeling like, man, LA County is not getting itself together, you know. And of course, everywhere is having, uh, everywhere, everywhere is dealing with the same issue, right? It's that's why it's a pandemic. So there are a little many lockdowns all over the place in multiple cities. But we've really been having a time here, um, and I've spent some time being upset that people don't understand that they have to behave for the benefit of everyone, not just for the benefit of yourself. And so how do you, how do you, you know, start to think in a way that isn't just selfish, mm -hmm. that isn't just self-absorbed? And I think it has a little bit to do with what we've been talking about, like the type of awareness of accepting self first, like accepting where you are and what you are and what you feel. Um, accepting that in this moment you are frustrated and tired mm -hmm. of being in lockdown and all of those things. Yes. Take it in, accept it, live through it, but live through it. Like keep moving. We can't stay there and get stuck. We have to take that stuff and be able to process and move at the same time. In the same way that I'm, I'm asking people um, when I teach dance classes, whether it's an improvisation or you know, classical classes or whatever, your dance is your technique and it's movement and it always is movement and we need to keep moving and we can move and we can think and we can see and we can speak all at the same time. We just have to remember that we have that capacity. So we don't have to get stuck with the one thing that seems to be you know, in the forefront of our minds. We need, as you said, turn your head and remember there's all this other stuff and I can hold space for that and do those other things mm -hmm. at the same time. So you can be mad and wear your mask, people. <laughs> yes. At the same time, you can be frustrated and tired. Your skin can be breaking out because it's not used to being covered up around that part of your face and still continue to wear your mask because it's something that is necessary for not just you, but for everybody. That's where my thoughts were. Well, I am so thankful for all these thoughts and this conversation. And I am, I'm just, I'm just so grateful. I'm so giddy, like with happiness that I get to talk to you both. So <laughs> 
I, I, and I'll probably continue saying that as long as I'm training with you, I'll be, I'll be like this all the time. I just get so like geeky about all this stuff. So if you want to find out more, um, about Spencer and Jermaine, you can go to their Instagram profile. Spencer is at Spencer Miles, S-P-E-N-S-E-R-M-Y-L-E-S. And Jermaine's handle is J-A-M-S-V-Y. And I'll link it all in the show notes. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been so beneficial and entertaining and educational. And I am just, I'm, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you, Thank Anna. You much love. Very much. Thank you so much for joining me on this session. Remember that you are valuable, your dreams are important, and it's never too late to be great.